Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks from Knight Frank. I'm your host, Anna Ward. Today, we'll be talking about how demand is evolving for UK real estate. So with startups and film producers now more actively searching for property space. I'm joined by Knight Frank partner and life sciences specialist, Jennifer Townsend, to talk about the growth of the UK's 90 billion health and life sciences sector. And year to date, we've seen UK life sciences companies attract 2.7 billion in venture capital backing. That's actually the second highest level over the past decade for the first three quarters. I'm also joined this episode by Deirdre O'Reilly, Senior Research Analyst, to find out more about the rise in film and TV production spend in the UK and how this is fueling an increase in film studio take-up. Hi, Jennifer and Deirdre. Hi, Anna. Great to be on this podcast. It's nice to be here, Anna. Thank you. So just before we get started, I'd like to clarify that we recorded this episode towards the end of 2023. So where Jennifer refers to rising investment, she is talking about Q3 2023 volumes. Full year investment levels into the life sciences sector did actually fall 7% compared to 2022, but overall still ranked third highest looking over the past 10 years. So Jennifer, we're going to kick off with the life sciences section first. As I mentioned, clearly the fundraising environment for UK innovation is improving. We've also recently seen the government up its funding for life sciences in the autumn statement. Can you tell us a bit about what's driving all of this? I mean, first of all, you know, it's great to see that despite economic headwinds, venture capital investment into UK life sciences companies increased because, you know, this fuels the growth of those companies and ultimately leads to expansion-led real estate demand. We've seen these increases in funding and, and increased optimism around the funding environment for a number of different factors. So just to name a couple of them, you know, first of all, there's a real focus on companies operating in high potential fields of life sciences like AI-powered drug discovery and precision medicine. And these are areas where the UK really excels. Then you have the fact that the sector has strong underlying growth fundamentals, such as an ageing population and huge unmet needs that make it extremely attractive from an investment perspective. 2023 saw some really big mega deals. So you had six deals over 100 million in terms of that VC funding, and that really boosted those figures. And then finally, the quality of the science in the UK continues to attract investment from around the world. So we were very much leading the way in terms of vaccine development during covid And more recently, the the UK Biobank opened up more of its data to global researchers. And for those of you who don't know much about it, it's it's really exciting. Basically, the UK Biobank is one of, if not the world's most important health databases. It holds information on half a million people with more than 30,000 researchers in 100 countries registered to access the data Half a million people. Is that all UK-based or is it? Yeah, yeah. So it's a real example of of the strength of uh, the UK's life sciences sector. Sounds pretty dystopian, is it? What kind of information (laughs) is it holding? It's mainly information on genetics data, but it's also other information, you know, around sort of people's healthcare uh, history, etc. So it gives you a really holistic picture of the healthcare environment. 
that leads into my next question, really, which is um, I think there's quite a lot of talk around the amount of funding. Uh, you've obviously gone into some of the reasons why it's increasing in the UK. But people do say that it is surprising that we haven't got a sort of cluster type situation of talent and real estate and research like Boston or in San Francisco. Can you tell us a bit about why that might be or what, what it might take to close the sort of competition gap? I mean, I think it's important to firstly remember that the UK life sciences sector is still in its nascent stages when compared to the US and it takes many years to develop a fully functioning, mature ecosystem. So that's fundamentally why we're not at the same scale as some of those US clusters. But we certainly have all the right ingredients for the sector to continue its growth trajectory. So these include our academic strengths, a highly skilled workforce, access to the NHS, rising levels of R&D spend and global strengths such as that UK biobank that that I mentioned a minute ago. I think it was also really encouraging and you, you touched on it at the beginning, but to see the emphasis on the life sciences sector in the autumn statement as well as the UK recently rejoining the EU Horizon Research Programme, which is essentially the world's largest cross-border science collaboration network. And all of that should further boost the growth of the sector and our ability to scale up and and compete on a global stage. What is the real estate angle then in terms of um, development pipelines? You do see a lot of, or hear about a lot of stories like, For example, I think there was a former military base being turned into, say, a life sciences campus. So there's obviously lots of old real estate that's being repurposed into life sciences spaces. And it seems increasingly perhaps also beyond the golden triangle as well. So I think traditionally you talk about life sciences as being companies as being based in Oxford, Cambridge, London, etc. So what's your outlook on take up and, and how that might spread geographically? Yeah, I've talked a lot about the positive aspects of UK life sciences. You know, there are also some barriers to that growth, one of which is a real uh, supply-demand imbalance, particularly in the Golden Triangle, which is essentially Oxford, Cambridge, London, and increasingly the areas in between. So if you look at that development pipeline, as at the end of Q3, there was a 1.9 million square foot shortfall of life sciences spaces. Looking at Cambridge alone, as at the end of Q3, there was over 1 million square feet of demand for lab space, but only just over 24,000 square feet of availability. So some pretty stark numbers, uh, you know, we need to build more space if we are going to truly scale up the sector. So what's constraining that? Because obviously you're saying demand is strong, but is it, say, the cost of building, is that weighing on output? I mean, obviously the economy is not in the great state right now. So is that all suppressing supply as well? Yeah, I think there's, there's an element in terms of rising construction costs. But I think another factor at play is the potential obstacles in terms of planning permission. I know that has sort of delayed a number of developments within the Golden Triangle. I mean, looking sort of longer term on that development pipeline, it, it does look like a more robust picture. So there's around 30 million square foot in the longer term development pipeline just for the Golden Triangle. And if we were to go, say, five or 10 years ago, I, mean, I don't know which one would make more sense, but are we talking very small numbers in terms of 
as it's a relatively recent phenomenon in the last, say, five years where the space requirements have really increased. Yeah, obviously, life sciences has, has been around for, for a long time. But I think definitely the COVID pandemic was where you saw a real boom in terms of, well, a real estate focus on the sector, but also a real boom in, in investment, such as venture capital funding, which, you know, as I said, obviously leads to growth and therefore demand for, for real estate space. Okay, that's great. You've given me the perfect segue for Deirdre's bit, which is... Obviously, there is a key link to COVID for life sciences. We've seen an increase in investment uh, since all of the innovation around vaccines and that kind of thing. Obviously, also in the film and TV space, we saw a big surge in investment since COVID, just given the amount of uh, appetite and interest in TV consumption during that time. I think you can probably help me with some of these key stats, but essentially Knight Frank is estimating an additional 2.6 million square foot of studio space will be needed by 2028, potentially. Can you tell us a bit more about what's fueling this? I think you hit the nail on the head there with the the COVID pandemic point, because I think the key driver in the film studio sector is the rising demand for more and more original content by consumers, which obviously was a big factor in 2020, 2021, and, and that kind of growth fed into the industry. So spending on the production of film and high-end TV is closely tied to the consumption of high-end TV and film. And the most recent statistics from the BFI for 2022 show growth in long-form single-episode productions made by streaming platforms. So major players such as Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney+, Plus, Apple TV, all the household names, they've been increasingly investing in original content and single productions to acquire and retain customers. But also the number of streaming platforms is also growing and these platforms are increasingly looking to produce their own content as well. The total spend per production increased by 31% year on year in 2022 to a record high and this was 86% higher than pre-pandemic levels. Higher spending per production then means greater demand for higher end purpose-built studio space. However, while we do expect production spend to continue rising, future production spending is probably not going to maintain that that kind of same pace of growth that it had experienced during the COVID years. Deirdre, just based on what you just said, are you essentially saying that it's likely that there will have been a sort of spike in investment in the COVID years and that will sort of start moderating now? Well, in terms of production spend, the production spend will keep rising, but the pace of growth, so that percentage growth year on year is expected to moderate. So we don't kind of expect that pace of growth to maintain the same high levels of growth that we experienced in previous years. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for this. Obviously, we've seen high inflation. So ongoing inflation has not only impacted production budgets, but it's also impacted consumers' viewing habits, including subscriptions, cinema attendance as well, which impacts platforms' revenues. And platforms that are responding to this by offering lower cost subscription plans supported through ad supported subs subscriptions to retain customers and maintain revenue. But in terms of demand for content, the future does look bright. And according to digital TV research, and we touched on this in a little bit in the report, both global subscription revenues from SVOD, so that's subscription video on demand services, and subscription numbers are expected to continue to grow out to 2028, while advertised based video on demand, which relies upon advertising revenue, has also strong prospects for long-term growth. So And cinema as well is also expected to continue its post-pandemic recovery, according to PwC. What's the best way of putting all of this into context? Because obviously I know people get quite excited about film studios. 
clearly it's a kind of newer part of the real estate world in a way. It's been there, but it's now, as you just said, you know, Netflix, Amazon, this is a sort of growing newish area. But if you think about this from a sort of real estate investment point of view, does this make up quite a small part of what we would call the industrial market? So the warehousing side of things, which has obviously been around for a while. It's difficult to say. So we in Knight Frank, we track space occupied in industrial units over 50,000 square foot. But there are also a number of industrial units below this size band, which are being leased to studio operators and film production companies as well. But if you just look at the larger end for units over 50,000 square foot, over the past five years or so, about 2.4 million square foot of industrial space has been leased to film studio operators. And I suppose just looking, say, at the percentage or the proportion of industrial space that is being leased to these companies by square foot, say, if you look at the take up over over 2021, the proportion was 0.6% leased to film studio operators. This increased to 1.6% in 2022 and 2.1% in year to date 2023. So although it's that small player in the industrial market, it is still growing at, at a fairly steady rate. I suppose examples of this actually is Netflix signed five to 10 year leases on a number of speculative industrial units in Seagrove Park, Enfield and Seagrove Park Hayes during 2021 and 2022, amounting to about 315,000 square foot, while Sky Studios took over 300,000 square foot of speculative space at Panatoni Park in Boreham But there's also then the conversion of vacant secondhand industrial property which provides an alternative opportunity to utilise existing industrial space. So one example of this adaptation of warehousing space is the conversion of industrial units at Premier Park in Park Royal in West London into RD Studios. So it's not just about building new space, you're talking about repurposing existing space, essentially there's different types going on. Exactly. So there's both. So there's speculative space that has been developed in the industrial sector due to low supply levels and remarkably some of these large speculative units have been leased to your large film production players such as Netflix and they're achieving very strong rents in those areas but then you also have the conversion of existing studio space and as well institutional grade stock of studio space has increased in recent years as well meaning that studio buildings are now being built with ESG credentials in mind so these Seagrove parks and Panatoni parks would have high REAM credentials. Just stepping away from the film studios, what other areas of industrial real estate would you say are growth areas, perhaps bigger than film studios, but just on a similar trajectory? The industrial sector has proved its resilience over the last year, despite the challenges in both the occupier and investment markets. And, you know, there's still positive rental growth story in the sector. But two areas of growth that I want to touch on is manufacturing and iOS, so industrial open storage. So just on the manufacturing side, the latest UK occupier data demonstrates while there is continued resilience from distribution firms, there's a growing share of take up by manufacturers. So historically, the wage differential between low skilled labour in the UK and other developed countries was a big draw for labour intensive manufacturing firms to relocate operations in other countries. And the containerization of the freight industry as well made shipping more efficient and cost effective. But today, however, we're seeing firms seeing these cost advantages eroded due to economic growth in offshore production bases. So manufacturers are looking to kind of shorten their supply chains, reshore their production bases closer to home. And new hubs would mean greater demand then for industrial property for both production and logistics operations. 
Just on that point, though, I guess maybe we could bring Jennifer back in on this because it, then it, it seems like we're both painting a bit of a picture of um, well, the UK sort of manufacturing more domestically, obviously innovating in life sciences. So there seems to be a bit more going on on the domestic front. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a lot of the focus of life sciences tends to be on the R&D side of things and and lab space, which is obviously extremely important. But there's all these exciting treatments that are now starting to come through to commercialization stage, and they will obviously need to be manufactured somewhere. And, you know, that arguably should be in the UK In terms of sort of life sciences manufacturing, a lot of the push is towards more personalised treatments. So without getting too deep into the science, there's something called Southern Gene Therapy, which is a huge growth area. And that involves essentially modifying, um, this does sound quite dystopian, but modifying our own. More (laughs) dystopia. Oh my God. Our own, it's also very exciting, Um, modifying our own cells and genes. So it's, it's not, we're not talking about the batch production of aspirin or anything. So these manufacturing facilities have to be in close proximity to the patient because you're dealing with living organisms. It has to be in a controlled clean room environment and therefore it's more conducive to being done domestically rather than with these huge global supply chains. So I think, yeah, there's a real opportunity looking forward for the UK to take a lead in terms of of life sciences manufacturing. And and as you said, there were a couple of really positive initiatives announced in the autumn statement around investment zones centred on advanced manufacturing. 10 out of 10, that's a good link. Deirdre, have you got another one for us? We were talking about growing areas in industrial. We've done done film studios, done manufacturing. Have you got another one or is that, is that it for today? There is one that I wanted to touch on as well, and that's industrial open storage. So it's quite an embryonic asset class. It's still in its infancy, but it's been, it's been talked about a lot. So industrial open storage sites are highly versatile and they're being used as storage facilities and support multiple industrial sectors, including e-commerce, automotive, construction, logistics businesses, and more. And I suppose, especially at the moment, given high construction costs, getting involved in kind of a less complex and capital intensive asset than an urban warehouse has its appeal. And I think from an investment perspective, traditionally, the space has seen a greater proportion of owner occupiers and fewer institutional investors. But now new investment managers are coming in and specifically targeting iOS, Marchmont being one such example who have been very active recently in the UK. So I think at a time where there is market uncertainty and a higher cost of debt and difficult planning processes, investors are seeking greater returns through the potential of rental growth in iOS and the supply is actually generally limited as well and inquiries have been consistently growing, which makes it attractive to investors. So it's one to watch, I think. Thank you both for joining me, Jennifer and Deirdre. Great to get your insight on the growth of life sciences. Jennifer, why so much funding is coming into the UK, yet why there's no cluster on the level of San Francisco and Boston. And Deirdre, really interesting to hear about the boom in TV studios particularly post sort of COVID years and where all of that is heading. Thank you for joining me, Jennifer and Deirdre. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Anna. For more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. See our show notes for more details. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks. Intelligence Talks.